Well, good morning. So glad to be here with you again to study another portion of Second Samuel. And today we will be covering uh, lots of chapters and lots of verses. Um, we won't be reading them all. And I trust that you have already read through Second Samuel. And if you haven't, you, you really should, because uh, you shouldn't just take my word for it. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we're so grateful to you that you allowed us to be alive and well. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to study your word together. Please help us, Lord God, as we strive to do better by you, Lord, as we live this life on earth. Please forgive us of our sins, Lord, and continue to watch over us and guide and protect us throughout our days here on this earth until we're able to be at home with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The key verse from today's lesson is Second um, Samuel 19, verse 24. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. One day, two friends were walking along and chatting to, uh, with one another. The first friend said, I, I don't like to face problems head on. I think the best way to solve problems is to avoid them. In fact, this is a distinct philosophy of mine. No problem is so big or so complicated, complicated that I can't run away from. That tends to be our mentality, doesn't it? Run or simply ignore it and it will go away. Talking about the problems. But sometimes our survival depends on patience and endurance. When David was on the run from Absalom, and we're covering 2 Samuel chapter 16 through 2 Samuel chapter 19 again today, we see that he needed some help. He was running for his life and needed someone to reach out to him and show him that God was still his fortress. What is interesting is that God does not use the people you would think or expect him to use to reach out to David in his time of distress. Other kings are siding with Absalom and Joab, old Joab, seems to be cowering right along with David. Those who were normally closest to David's uh, uh, closest to David's side seem to be silent. But sometimes God uses people we wouldn't expect to bring us back to the center of his will. So at first glance, God appears to be to use Ziba to reach out to David. Now, do you remember Ziba? In Second Samuel chapter 9, when, when we read that, we saw that he was made the servant of Mephibosheth to keep all the property and wealth of Jonathan that David had returned to his family. In fact, it was him and his sons to be servants of uh, Mephibosheth. In the midst of David's and Israel's tragedy, he catches up with David and his entourage with food and donkeys, wine, and, and a report. When David asked why he had um, brought these things, Ziba replied, I brought them for you and your people. And David asked, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba answered, matter-of-factly, he is plotting to take over the throne. Now, as we read the rest of the story, we know this defection is not to be true. Uh, David, yet David did not have the luxury of foresight or did he? So he reacted in anger. 
Although he is not in a real position to make a ruling, he is a uh, what you would call a displaced king on the run. He rules that all the property and wealth of Jonathan now belong to Ziba, not Mephibosheth. This expresses uh, faith on David's part that he would return to the throne and be able to make such a ruling. It also fills uh, David's heart with sorrow and disappointment. He's probably thinking, how could Mephibosheth, after receiving the grace of David and the grace of God, be so ungrateful and evil? Now, in my notes here, I have written, I wrote down uh, to me, David should have taken a beat or taken a second or a minute to really consider what was happening. And even even more so, I, I got I get to thinking about how David, um, when he made the the judgment uh, back with uh, Ziba and Mephibosheth, I guess it wasn't a judgment, but trying to to aid and help Mephibosheth. Did he really consider Ziba and and how he just put him in a situ- situation where he and his sons and he had a lot of them would be the servants forever for Mephibosheth? I mean, he was already a servant of Saul, yes. But my, my, my point is, in the human aspect of it, I can see Zeba's side of it. I'm not saying that he's right in what he did and what he's doing here. But David should have really considered all that then and all of this now. Well, after Absalom's death, David returns to Jerusalem to regain his throne. He is greeted by an unshaven unbathed and undignified Mephibosheth. You should really read the story of him. He had vowed not to care for his feet, trim his mustache, or wash his clothes until David returned in peace. It's not like David was gone today and tomorrow uh, he just came back. Really consider what he looked like and what he smelled like. Now does this sound like one who is plotting a rebellion? From the day David left until the day he returned, Mephibosheth was in mourning. David comes to realize uh, that the supplies Ziba brought were truly from, from Mephibosheth. Ziba told him, I will take supplies for David on your behalf. You stay here. He was talking to Mephibosheth. But again, David does not have any witnesses uh, to rely upon. It was Mephibosheth's word against Zebas. So rather than make a decision, David decides to divide the land between Zeba and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's response shows his true love and devotion to David. Let him take everything. Now that my Lord, the king has returned home safely. Mephibosheth showed that he was more concerned about the relationship than the riches. Of all the people that God could have used to reach out to David, he used Mephibosheth. Proof that the good we do for others comes back to us in return. Now, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't do it for this reason, because we're expecting to get something back. But from this beautiful story of love and devotion, we learn three practical lessons about our needs and our God, our God's ability to fill them. First, when we need God the most, he will provide because God is a provider. He is the God that provides. David and his troops were in need. They had fled from Absalom and 
what provisions they had taken were evidently depleted. God provided donkeys, food, and drink. God loved David. David was God's chosen man, and he gave him everything necessary for the victory. Yet, there is one important truth we must not miss. David got himself in this predicament. We are often hesitant to help people if we know they got themselves into trouble, aren't we? Maybe they need their rent paid because they spent their paycheck at the casino or they are unemployed because of an alcohol problem. So we think um, we are enabling them if we help them. This is not the way our God does business. And I'm so very grateful for this. Sometimes we make bad decisions, don't we? We get ourselves in tough spots, but God loves us anyway. We are his chosen people and he will supply all our needs according to Philippians 4.19. So we can achieve the victory. Now, I'm not saying that God will enable us to continue to sin, but he will supply us with what we need to make it through. He did not spoil David with mighty stallions and, and filet mignon. Um, rather, he gave him donkeys to ride and fruit and bread to eat to uh, sustain him, gave him what he needed. He provided what David needed to obtain the victory. Secondly, when we need God the most, he will come to us in unexpected ways. At first glance, it appears that God is using Ziba. We come to find out later that Ziba was only an opportunist who was taking advantage of his crippled master. God does not always choose the mighty to minister to us. He chooses the one who can bring us closer to him. I'm thinking about uh, a story that, that that stays with me that in my life, when I when I was a child, a younger uh, Christian, I can remember that my mom struggled to raise um, my me and my younger two brothers. And oftentimes we just did not know where the next meal was going to come from. But there was a, and she's a sister in Christ now, but a lady that we knew as friend of the family, um, she was always able to, you know, fix a big pan of beefaroni or something else and bring it to our house just when we just thought we didn't have, we were going to have any food. She said she would be thinking about us and would fix the extra pan of beefaroni and, and just bring it over. And I'll tell you that beefaroni did get us through some hard times. But I'll tell you also that I didn't think about how God was using her then. But as I think about it now in the years um, as I've been an adult, I, I think about that and how much closer I am to God because of that act of kindness. And we were able to return those acts of kindness to her, not because she did that, but but because this was the right thing to do, um, there are many different things that transpired between uh, our family and theirs. But the most important things that her family came to Christ, her and her husband, that is. Thirdly, when we need God the most, we will often use those. He will often use those whom we have helped um, to help us. What did Mephibosheth have before God uh, or David blessed him? He had nothing. So those things he had sent to David in reality came from came from David in the first place. If we ever wonder why God is not using others to bless us, 
Well, we need to ask ourselves if we have allowed God to use us to bless others. When we invest in the lives of others, we are investing in our own future. We may need those very people that we are serving to serve us one day. So this thought gives the words of Christ new meaning in Luke 6:38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We all have those times when we need to be served. We all have those times when we are in desperate need of God's provision. From this story, we learn that when we need God the most, he is faithful to provide. But we need to be looking for it and we need to accept it. And most importantly, we need to make sure we are in God's hands or we are God's hands serving others when they need him the most. So some questions for us today in regards to this. Can you think of a time when God used someone else to provide for a desperate need you had? Why do you think people and maybe you hesitate to help someone when it is, quote unquote, their own fault? But why did David still bless Ziba then? Have you ever been a blessing to someone only to receive a blessing from them at a later date? Does Acts 2, 44 through 46 apply to us today? Go ahead and read that and then ask yourself, should it apply to us today? Another key verse that we'll read today is uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 14. It says, he won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. They sent word to the king, return you and all your men. Scripture up there I have is from Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We may say words like, I just don't know what I'm going to do when we find ourselves in a broken place and we're searching for God uh, when we are broken. Most of us have heard those words from someone who is dealing with a tragedy. Many of us have said those words after losing a job. I just don't know what I'm going to do when we lose a spouse or being hit with some type of major disaster. The fact is, tragedy often paralyzes us. The words we other aren't necessarily, why me, but rather, why now? And often, what's next? You know, in the middle of Second Samuel chapter 19, we find David returned to Jerusalem at a time of tragedy. Now, he has lost two sons and he has spent the last several months running from uh, for his life. He comes back only to face those who had doubted him and to pick up the pieces of a kingdom and a life that was crumbled. The phrase picking up the pieces is one we are all familiar with because most of us had to do that at one time or another. But when we are picking up the pieces, I ask you, how do we allow God and how do you allow God to be part of the process? In Jeremiah 31, 3, God reminds us that he is in the business of building his people, rebuilding his people, that is. 
From this story in the life of David, we learn three essentials uh, for finding God in broken pieces of our life. So let's read first Jeremiah 31 3. Jeremiah 31 3. It says there, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. What we see from David is that here in Second Samuel, we need to offer forgiveness to those who need it. While Absalom was usurping the throne of his father, a, name named, a man named Shimei threw in his lot with Absalom and began throwing stones at David and calling him a bloodthirsty scoundrel. Second uh, Samuel chapter 16, 5 through 8. In fact, he was standing up on top of a wall or a hill and throwing rocks down at David and throwing insults down at him. When Absalom was killed, Shimei's tone drastically changed. King David, I know you remember what I did. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Throwing rocks at a king is bad enough, but to hurl uh, insults upon him was punishable by death because he was the king. Rather than calling in the guards, David asked Shemai a question. What do you and I have in common? It's a rhetorical question. David is saying, or he's asking, he's saying, we are both sinners. Your sin is no greater than mine. And I do not know what I would have done if I were in your shoes. So I choose to forgive you. I ask you, can you imagine the reaction of Shemai or, or better yet, of the people standing nearby? You know, everybody heard this and saw what was going on. If there is someone in your life who needs your forgiveness, I would like to encourage you to do two things. First, try to understand where they are coming from. Now, it's difficult to know what we would do if we were in someone else's shoes. It is easy to uh, to judge a wrong turn down a path you would have never traveled or that you've never traveled. Secondly, recall a time in your life when you need forgiveness and apply the same emotion. We have previously studied the forgiveness of God ascended to David after his sin with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah. Well, what would you say about David if he didn't forgive at this time? What does it say about us when we do not forgive? In Matthew 18, Jesus shares a parable of our sin and God's forgiveness. A man is forgiven much, but refuses to forgive little. None of us read that story and or read that story and look at the unforgiving servant in a favorable light, do we? That when we refuse to forgive, we are living just like him. So as we try to pick up the broken pieces of our lives, we should find someone we need to forgive and forgive them. Secondly, we need to offer comfort to those who have lost it. In two prior lessons, we spoke of Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. Mephibosheth was an heir to Saul Strong and as such could have been a threat to David's rule. Yet David had taken Mephibosheth into his own home out of his love for Jonathan. But when David left the city, Mephibosheth wasn't there. Ziba portrayed Mephibosheth as one who was plotting to take over the throne. But that was not the case at all. David returned with the intention of punishing Mephibosheth. But instead, he offered him comfort. Verse 
sometimes misunderstandings happen. David probably did not fully understand what was going on with Ziba and Mephibosheth. But he saw a man who was happy to have a home. He saw a man who needed comfort and he offered it. One of the greatest ways to pick up the broken pieces of our lives is to help someone else pick up their own broken pieces. One such example is a friend of mine named Tom, uh, who laid his wife to rest after her long, uh, brutal battle with different illnesses uh, a couple of years ago. He was devastated. His grieving process was long and difficult and arduous. As he was still in the depths of grief, he still taught prisoners. He knew what he uh, what we often forget. Sometimes the best way to help yourself is allowing God to use you to help others. And that he did. We also need to offer friendship to those who desire it. Barzillai had been a faithful friend of David in the midst of his darkness, darkest hours. Now, David offered to honor him for his friendship by taking him back to Jerusalem with him. When king, when a king makes an offer like this, you don't turn him down. Barzillai turned him down. He asked if he could simply stay where he was so he could be buried in the family tomb. He was rewarded and honored for his faithfulness to David in the past by being told to simply ask for whatever he wanted and it would be given. As we seek to pick up the pieces, it's important to know who your friends are and to treat them with respect and honor they deserve. Proverbs seventeen seventeen tells us that a friend loves at all times when a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions, Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks close, closer, excuse me, than a brother. And lastly, in Proverbs chapter twenty seven, starting at verse nine, the pleasantness of our friend springs from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend. These are three essentials, or these three essentials are attributes of God. If we ever want to find God and experience him as our rock and our fortress, which is the theme of our lessons in Second Samuel, we must all allow him to work through us. We must seek to be godly. David did that. He was a man after God's own heart. And if you don't remember what we talked about, about man after God's own heart, you really should go back and, and visit our lessons that we, we spoke about in that. It was not that David was God or like God, but he was seeking after God. He was seeking God in his life. And because of that, God attributes uh, attributes, excuse me, were visible as he sought to pick up the pieces of his own life. So one final caveat, as you seek to pick up the broken pieces of your life and make a fresh start, there are those who would just as soon like the pieces to remain broken. Not everybody has their best interests at heart. And sometimes that can include brothers and sisters in Christ. Shameful as it may be, Satan will even use some of us to help keep others down. In Second Samuel chapter 20, we read of a man named Sheba who wanted to make trouble for the returning king. Yet in the face of this crisis, David remained focused. This time David hadn't or didn't run in a and allow God to continue to do his redemptive work. God dealt with Sheba 
And David remained strong, even in difficult circumstances. Yes, David had messed up in the past, but not today. He remained faithful. God picked up the pieces and he regained his throne. He makes all of us that same promise. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus said the persecuted church to the persecuted church, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will crown you. I will give you a crown of life. God does not expect perfection, but he does expect faithfulness. And if we are faithful to him, he will always be there to pick up the broken pieces. Now some questions for us this week. What does picking up the pieces mean to you? What did Shemai uh, deserve for his crimes? And along with that question, we ask, why did David not punish him? And along with that question, I will ask, is there a time when it is okay to let crimes go unpunished? Now, I want you to consider your answer thoughtfully. I want you to remember that sin here uh, is equal to crime. How we are forgiven of our sins. From who we are forgiven of our sins. Just consider that question, their answer thoughtfully. When struggling to forgive, why is it imperative to try to see things from the other's point of view? A follow-up question would be, why do we, why do you make this so difficult? What are some practical things you can do to offer comfort to those who are hurting? How does offering comfort to others comfort us? What are some practical ways to show real friendship to those with whom we come in contact? Along with this question, I ask you, how is it that we are more friendly with most of our secular acquaintances than our own brothers and sisters in Christ? How should we react when we are trying to pick up the broken pieces and someone attempts to scatter them again? Now, this week we have studied on finding God when I need him the most and also finding God, uh, finding God. In the broken pieces of our lives. Next week, we will finish up Second Samuel, uh, st- starting with Second uh, Samuel chapter twenty-one, and we will be trying to find God when I am too tired to to fight. We will also talk about finding God uh, in the rearview mirror. That's that's going to be an interesting lesson, um, part of the lesson within itself. And lastly, we will end Second Samuel by finding God when I forget. That he's in control. And I think sometimes, oftentimes, we do that. It's again great to be with you all today. And I hope that you will take the time to read the rest of Second Samuel, that you will meditate on God's word, that you take the time to review these questions and answer them for yourself. You all be blessed and be a blessing to those that you come in contact with.